The Crossman Conversation brought to you today by Community Legal Services, Maynard Cooper, Frontier Partners, by Crossmark Services, and Roto Speaks. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. The Crossman Conversation is hosted by John Crossman. John's heart is to see our community of leaders unite around what we have in common. John will be joined by political leaders, religious leaders, as well as activists making a difference in our nation. Here is your host for the Crossman Conversation, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation. Mike, how are you doing today, hey, buddy? Hey, my friend. Doing well, thanks. Listen, before we get started, I got a quick story for you. All right. Listen, I like them. You think about like things I love, okay? Yeah. Like, I love HBCUs in general. I know you do. You know? And you know, I'm a big lover of Bethune-Cookman University. Yes, you are. And then people are surprised because I also love Florida A&M. That's right. And their rivals, but you know, their rivals like Army-Navy, you know, like they love each other, yeah. their rivals, right? Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes in life, I meet people that share the same love I have for those universities, oh. right? Now, here's a twist, though. You know, I love college football. I do. I love people that play college football. I know you do. You know a lot of them. I know, but I don't necessarily love them if they play for Steve Spurrier. Uh, wait, wait a minute now. That's well, getting well, kind that's, of personal that's, that's there. That's yeah. I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. So what if I told you our guest today is a trustee at Bethune-Cookman, trustee at FAMU, and played football for Steve Spurrier? Uh, well, there you go. That's yeah. our guest today, Devron Gibbons. Devron, are you, are you there? I'm here. How are you, John? Devron you Gibbons, you were all three of those things. You're a FAMU Bethune-Cookman Gator. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, and and you played you played a little ball with under the under Coach Spurrier. Is that correct, too? I did play for the old ball coach. Little little slot receiver, is that right? That's right. Okay. All right. So I got. I got. I, 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 got, son, I, didn't, I didn't get to play much because we had about ten All Americans. But, I was <laughs> but you were there. All right. So listen, I, I got a question for you. Okay, we're gonna play a little game. It's sure. it's the Super Bowl. Okay, and there's a minute left, and your team is down by four, but you're on. Let's just say the 17 yard line. You got to score a touchdown, and you're in the slot position. Okay. Who would you want at quarterback and the other two wide receiver positions to make sure that one of you scores? Who, who, tell, me, tell me Devron's dream, quarterback throwing and the other two receivers on his team. Who, who would you want? If I, if I had, my, if I had my, any, team, any quarterback? Or any quarterback. Any quarterback, anybody, who would you want back there? I mean, of course you'd have to say Tom Brady. But if I were talking about University of Florida, I would definitely, most definitely say, uh, it's a tough one. I'd have to say Danny Warfel, and then the other two receivers would be definitely um, Aubrey Hill and Willie Jackson. Those are very strong choices. And Danny's been on this show. Danny's a friend of the show. So even though I I cheered against him so strongly, he was on the show. He now does pickleball. (laughs) And I said, Danny, who's your best rival in pickleball? I got to cheer for that guy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So those are good choices, man. Those are really, really good choices. And so um, you also uh, went to UF, and then you were a FAMU Law School grad. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I, I went to FAMU Law School. I did. So tell went, me. Go ahead. I went at night uh, and worked uh, full-time as a senior vice president at a, a company in Florida. <laughs> Well, Devron, tell me this. Your story is so unique, and like you know, you're you're actually now the vice chair of Florida A&M University, which is a big deal, and you're a trustee at Bethune Cookman University, which is a big deal, and you know, you were this college athlete at Florida, and then going to law school at night. What what is it about um, 
I guess college in general, but then specifically, why are you so passionate about HBCUs? Well, um, fortunately, I had a good parents that pushed me towards education, but I really have to give that credit to my father. Um, though I didn't go to an HBCU in undergrad, um, my father and both my grandfather went to Morehouse College, and I saw the quality of instruction and the quality of the men that they became from the um, from their time at being at Morehouse. You know, my father was a research assistant to um, the president of um, the president of, of Morehouse College, um, and you know, he always talked about the friendships that he made, but also how the instruction of the of the um, acad- of the um, professors really helped him become a quality student and helped him in life because. HBCUs don't tend to look at um, individuals as numbers or social security numbers like in in a lot of um, PWIs. Um, They tend to have to guide and become mentors and push um, folks through the university. And I don't mean academically. I mean push them to learn what the world that they face is going to do or, or be like for them. And I think HBCUs, while, you know, a lot of PWIs prepare you for what um, America and the other parts of the world look like, PWIs tend to also prepare you for that, but also teach you how to watch out for your fellow man. And it, it truly, you know, these, these a lot of these HBCUs got started as land-grant universities because we African-Americans could not go anywhere else. And so it became a community of taking care of each other. And I think that's a big part of what HBCUs do. They take care of the folks that come there, they nurture them, they get them prepared, and they push them out into the world with uh, real-world scenarios and real-world um, ideas. So a couple of comments on that. So first off, Mike, just so you know this, like uh, when he's saying PWIs, that means predominantly white institutions. I did not know that yeah, one. So okay, that, thanks con- for explaining yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's the context. And what a lot of people don't know is like sometimes people hear HBCUs, historically black college university, they tend to think, oh, is it only black? And that's not true. Uh, HBCUs always welcomed everybody. Hmm. There's always been white people and different people at HBCUs. At predominantly white institutions, a lot of them were white only, white male only, for huge segments of their time. Right. But the HBCUs never were. So like a lot of the first white women to go to law school in America went to Howard because the uh, other law schools wouldn't allow women, but hmm. the black law school allowed women yeah so there's a little bit of like a historical you know context there people people wouldn't know and necessarily know that no i certainly did not yeah and then you know uh, devron when i hear you talk it's like you know if you're going to a, one, a many there's lots of great law schools out there but if the law school classes you're taking are predominantly all one race one gender one socioeconomic group but then you go in the real world and you're a, a lawyer and you're in a trial the jury actually probably looks a lot more diverse Right. So going to a law school that has more diversity, I would imagine, has a lot of value. Is that, is that correct? Uh, yeah, it does have a lot of value. Um, you know, um, the reason that Florida A&M Law School was even started was because of the separate but equal. You know, Florida State had a law school that did not want to accept um, African-Americans into the state law schools. 
University of Florida at that time, African Americans couldn't get into those law schools, so they created FAMU's um, law school. And so, um, you know, to get back to your original question, you know, it is we were trying to create separate but equal good lawyers that were African Americans. And you know, one of the reasons that I ended up going to Florida A and M University Law School is, uh, and at the time I, I've said this before, John, you've heard me say this, I. I had only gone to a PWI. You know, I had gone to the University of Florida. I had gone to USF, done the short course at um, Harvard University for their Kennedy School. And when I got to FAMU Law School, I really found my family. I found I felt like I was at home because so many people cared in different ways. Um, the other universities that I had gone to, they wanted my money. They wanted me to get good grades. They wanted me to get out and go out and make make do well in the world, but. It was totally different. It was like I came into a group or a community of people that really wanted me to be successful, really took an interest in me and what I wanted to do. It was just a totally different environment that I had never seen before, and I was happy that I was a part of it. And my godmother, who was is the longest-serving um, African-American practicing lawyer in the state of Florida, Arthenia, Senator Arthenia Joyner, um, had gone to that school and was in the very last class of family law school, um, the original law school. And uh, she said, no, you need to go to Florida A&M. You, you need this experience. You need to go do this. And she was right. And, you know, I forever found a family at, uh, at FAMU. And so much so that I went back again, which I had no, I did not want to, but I, I again, I, I found a family of people that wanted me to do well and thought that this would be helpful to me in my career. I went back to SBI, which you know very well, right? And I got a uh, and I got a MBA. So um, I think these types of schools, while they started out being one thing, they have really um, been, uh, especially the law school family, has been a blessing to a lot of people, especially Black and Brown folks. Um, Hispanics as well. There's a lot of Hispanics that are going to family law school, and I think it's intended to make sure that you have you have quality lawyers of all races that can help people. I know there's a lot of jokes about lawyers and what they can and can't do, and uh, and how you know how they can be um, territorial and and money hungry. But there are some folks that are you need diversity in every work working right. group, and and this provides that. I think this law school has helped us provide that. Well, and I, I want to take a, just a quick break in a second here, but I just want to say this. I, I have been impressed by the alumni bases of HBCUs pour into their grads their whole careers. Like, that's a funny thing. Like, you know, I, I think a lot of people go to college and then they kind of don't really hear from the college or they might get a promotion. But man, you know, if you're, if you're 20 years later and you're a Bethune-Cookman grad and you get some big job you will hear from other Bethune-Cookman people affirming you, as you will hear from FAMU people. Like, like the HBCU network and culture, is, it's, like, it's lifelong. It really comes across that way. Uh, we got to take a break a second, but is that a true statement, Devron? Very true, John. It doesn't matter. That network is huge, and they, are, they, and they work together. It is like a community, like a village. Yeah, listen, this is how I know this is, uh, Mike. You know, I endowed that scholarship at Jackson State. Right. And those Jackson State people are for real deal, baby. Yeah, they are. <laughs> like, like yeah. I'm telling you what, I my wife's from Mississippi, and we endowed the scholarship there. And, man, and they, the, the university gave me a shirt, like a Jackson State shirt. And I, whenever I go to Jackson, I wear it in the airport. 
First class service, man. I got first oh, class service. Oh, is that right? Oh, okay. That's a for ticket sure. to good for stuff. For sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to take a break, quick break, and then we're going to come back with Devron. And I want to push a little bit more about uh, being a business leader and being so supportive of academics. Uh, this is John Crossman, the Crossman Conversation. Managing a team that has a lack of accountability and effective communication can be frustrating. Bill Roto-Rooter can help you build a cohesive team and a collaborative work environment. As a retired commander of the Navy's premier training system and research development organization, Roto has the experience to help you build trust and a high-performing team as you navigate high-pressure situations. To schedule a complimentary call with Roto, go to rotospeaks.com and complete the form and put the Crossman conversation in the message field. I'd like to thank Maynard Cooper and Gale PC for being a sponsor of our program. Maynard is a full service law firm with over 350 attorneys and 14 offices nationally who serve with professional excellence in everything from corporate and business matters to day-to-day legal issues. The office in Central Florida focuses its practice in real estate, corporate transactions and organization, banking and finance, along with trust and estates. To learn more, visit MaynardCooper.com. Community Legal Services is a civil legal aid organization providing no-cost legal help to the underserved. They call it Legal Aid for All. Their attorneys assist with legal issues related to family law, housing, domestic violence, veterans' benefits, and much more. Community Legal Services is a community-supported program. To learn more and help support the mission, visit clsmf.org. That's clsmf.org. Community Legal Services. Legal Aid for All. Crossmark Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services, including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing, and property management. Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you. That's CrossmarkServices.com. Are you willing to serve communities in crisis around the world to people who are impoverished, oppressed, and persecuted? Frontier Partners International offers mission opportunities in areas least served to meet the needs of the helpless, hapless, and hopeless, and is currently serving earthquake survivors in Syria. Share the love and joy of Christ and give the gift of a hope-filled future to someone in desperate need. Learn more at FrontierPartners.org. That's FrontierPartners.org. Once again, here is John Crossman. Back at the Crossman Conversation with my friend, Devron Gibbons, Vice Chair of the FAMU Board of Trustees, which is a big deal. A member of the Board of Trustees at Bethune-Cook Community University, also a big deal. And an SBI grad fam law school grad from FAM, undergrad of UF. So, Devron, help me understand this. Um, you're a successful businessman in your own right. I mean, uh, what you've accomplished, uh, what you understand about leadership in our state of Florida. You've been, you know, in, the, in uh, Hamilton, they talk about the room where it happened. Like, I wasn't in the room where it happened. You've been in the room where it happened and some pretty big stuff. So how does this guy who's in the room where it happened and involved in big business decisions maintain this such passion you have for education because you you do work with high school kids you've done work at the uh, college level in St. Pete where you live and then on the university level at this macro level so what what's in your heart that makes you so passionate about education so John um, it's funny you ask that question I came from education 
know, my father's a Baptist minister. My grandfather was one of the first African Americans to be principals in Pinellas County over here of a school. Um, my mother is a 38-year educator before she retired. Um, you know, one of the things that my grandfather used to tell me and my father still says to me is that the more education that you see, um, the less racism that you will encounter. Um, because the room, you are in a room of people who are not just opinion elites, but the people that have been enlightened on, you know, what really matters in life. And so um, one of the things that I used to get um, um I used to get bothered about all the time was why is it that when African-American folks um, begin to be um, uh, successful, they move out of their neighborhoods seeking success in houses and other things in other neighborhoods? Well, I built my house in my neighborhood that I grew up in. In fact, I built it on the lots that I came home from the hospital to, and I didn't even know I was acquiring those lots when I bought wow. them. I brought my mother to this to the location where I built the house. And I said, hey, I'm going to build a house here. And she started crying. I'm like, well, what are you crying for? And she says, well, you don't even know this, but there was a garage apartment on the same land uh, over in that corner that I brought you home from the hospital to. And so my journey began, and it's going to end in the same place. I say that and give you that story because, anecdotally, because um, I believed that I needed to build my home and my my life in the communities I grew up in so that young people knew that you don't have to be a drug dealer. You don't have to do anything illegal. You can be a businessman and be successful. But the only way young people would really get that message, John, is that if they can touch it. You know, it's almost like you hear it all the time, and I hear it all the time on these boards and college boards especially, is that you know, it's exposure, that young people have to have exposure to things. They have to be able to touch it, see it, feel it, talk to it, to make sure they actually can achieve it. And so whenever a kid passes by my house and they're like, man, is that, and I've had people that say, is that a boarding house? Is that a, is that a museum? Is it some, you know, is that an apartment building? I say, no, it's my house. And so when young people come by and they ask me, I say, hey, yeah, you can have this too. You want to come around? I take them on a tour in the back, the front even on the inside, because you want them to know that they can attain the same things. And so um, education is vital for our, our young people to be successful, but it's even more important to expose them and be accessible to them to make sure that they can be successful. And, you know, we're only as good as the, the crop that we produce. And if we're not producing good crop and we're not a part of shaping and molding that crop, we're definitely going to be in trouble in the future. Love that wisdom. Love that wisdom. So, and you're in that context, like you're in the heart of a situation and you're proactively looking and seeking and making legacy and impacting generations. Now, part two. So to people that are not in that community, not in that world, um, how do you explain to them, hey, uh, white business dude that graduated from the University of Miami, how do you explain to them why they should care about the importance of supporting FAM, supporting Bethune-Cookman and, and other universities like that? Why, why should they make that connection? Well, they should make that connection because, you know, we're educating. Um, well, first of all, let me say, Sam, you and Bethune-Cookman are, are providing quality instruction and education to students that are going to come out and be great students or great employees um, and go on and do, most of them go on and do very, very, very great things. 
The reason it's important is because when you move to any community, John, and you ask your electeds who you deal with on a regular basis and I deal with on a regular basis, you know, the one, the, what is the first thing that people usually ask when you're an executive? What are the schools like? Even though the elected official, the mayor, whoever, probably is not over the schools, you ask them that because you want to know that your kids are going to get provided a quality education and be able to have all and, and try to attain all the dreams in life that, they, that you have for them and that they want, right? And so, um, and so it's important because you want to also ask the second question is you want in that second statement from the mayor or the school board member or the whoever to be able to say, when you say, "Hey, where do you where where shouldn't I live?" You want them to be able to say, uh, "No, this is this is Orlando. This is St. Petersburg. You can live anywhere because we have great people that live all across our community. Crime is low because people have great jobs. They've had opportunities. The reason that you invest in these schools is because it doesn't matter where you go. It's whether you can finish. Nobody's ever asked me, or you, John. I bet you." What was your GPA? They ask you, do you have a degree when you're right. seeking a job, right? right? And if you've got a degree, they know that you have gone to school and you finished something. Right. You started and you completed it. And so it's important that other folks understand that it's just as hard to get a degree from uh, HBCU as the PWI, but it's even more important because they teach community in these schools. Folks like yourself who endowed scholarships, you're teaching community. You're teaching about giving back. You're teaching about business and how to do business, do it well, be successful, but not harm your community. And so those we are, we're producing quality students, quality people in the workforce that are going to help um, shape the global economy, but also remembering that community is also a priority. You know, some kids in today's world, and, and they're good kids. I'm not trying to be overly critical. Um they get really good at taking tests, right? And like their skill set is they can take great tests and so they can get a great GPA and they can graduate. But that doesn't mean they can know how to handle adversity, right? And so, you know, when you when you see a single mom that has her degree and then she goes back at night and gets a law degree from FAMU and you're like, this is a human being that's been through diversity, right? They understand how to pivot. They understand how to deal with hard stuff. Uh, we had a guy in the show one time, Edgar, who said show me a successful man and I'll show you somebody that's been through hell. Right. <laughs> and so, um, uh, right. And so, yeah. yeah. And so what you're saying, it's like all of us can face stuff, but the ones that can finish and deal with adversity and get through, that's the guy you want on your team. Right. So sometimes you know, you're like, Oh, this perfect kid that never made a B in their whole life. Well, that's awesome. But sometimes the kid that struggled to get B's, but they graduated and now they're a hustler and they show up early and they stay late Sometimes that's the best kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, John, to your point is I used to get um, um, uh, I used to get a little bit teased at Scott because uh, when I was there as an executive, um, I, the, the areas of, of the company that I was responsible for, some of the folks would always say, man, you only hire women. Um, you know, and, and I, and I'd be like, no, you're looking at the wrong thing. And then finally, um, one of the executives, uh, in leadership asked me, well, what's the, what's the secret sauce? So why are you so successful on that side? And I finally told him before I left, I hired single moms who had gone back to college and completed it. And this was why, John, have you ever thought about what a single mother has to go through to go to school? Mm -hmm. She's got to juggle college. She's got to juggle her kids. 
uh, education. She's got to juggle household things. She's got to juggle um, getting them to football, basketball, baseball, ballet, uh, gymnastics, whatever. And so when you throw one more thing at a person who's juggled their entire life and been successful at making sure their kids are getting quality instruction, getting to things that are going to help them be better citizens. I mean, what's one more thing when you work at a job and we're throwing you things that yeah, really, at the end of the day, matter to the company, but in the big scheme of things, are not that important, right? Yeah. They're gonna they they eat them alive. They just take those things and they're like, okay, I'll put it in the in in the uh, order it needs to go into and get it accomplished. And that's how we were successful. So when you talk about that, yeah, facing adversity is the first thing I want to know. What did you have to go through to get where you are? I want to see a little bit of your walk. And I think the comment that you made about facing adversity when. Mike Tyson had a saying, he said, yeah, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? Right. Well, it's like this, you know, I'm, I'm dyslexic, right? So school was hard for me. And so, yeah, but that, but it honed me, made me better. Uh, Devron, we just got a last minute here with you and, and I'm so thankful for you. So I have one last tough, tough question for you. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Yeah. Who do you cheer for during the classic? I cheer for both. <laughs> That is the same answer I give, my friend. I'm looking to buy a uh, HBCU polo shirt that I can wear during those games, and uh, so, I, I love them so both. So, John, yeah. I think you and I should get a sweatshirt made half Bethune-Cookman and half FAMU, and then just wear it A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, it's funny, uh, Mike, you know, the, the classic is a thing that if you, um, uh, if you are black and you live in Florida, you should go to. If you're white, you should go at least go to one time so you can see mm. and experience it. Sounds great. And you, you, when you see those, and it's funny because it's a rivalry and it's family. Oh, that's it, like I said, it's like, it, in a way, it's like going Army-Navy, you know? And sometimes people might say, you know, do we still need HBCUs? And I'm always like, well, we do, do we still need military academies? Do we still need Christian universities, right? You and I would quickly say yes. And so there's a beautiful culture to it that's impacting that's generations. Awesome. It's part of our past. It's part of our future. And it's exciting. And listen, Devron, I just want you to know, man, you're a real hero to me. You know, you, I look at you and I'm so grateful for you as a man and as a leader and what you're doing for me and so many others. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, John. I, and, and likewise, I see you as a good friend and a hero in our community without the things you're doing and helping to mold young people to be better and greater for t- tomorrow, um, we would be lost. So thank you for all you do. And thank you for having me on your show, John. Thank you, my brother. This is John Crossman, The Crossman Conversation. And as always, support your local HBCU. This has been Crossman Conversation, produced by a Crossman Career Builders Mark Radio Production.